point start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And uh, before we get into today's topic, we're going to be talking today about, about the New Testament, the Gospels, the the life and times of that guy, Jesus from Nazareth. Uh, but before we get into that topic, just re- re- remind... Huh, huh, huh. What am I trying to say, Father? I don't know. Remind <laughs> everyone about how they can... Uh, uh, contact with their own questions. Yeah, I should have done some more uh, speaking exercises before we recorded. Yeah, um, model of a ma- modern major general. I should have sang the song. Uh, I do that every week, except I forgot today, and that's what happens. No, uh, sorry for the the inane banter here. Um, the contact information, if you would like to uh, to give us any ideas for future episodes or questions that you have about what we're going to talk about today, um, email me C at sfcatholic.org c-b-u-r-g-w-a-l-d at sfcatholic.org but also wanted to mention and, and I typically don't do this and I should do this so I'm going to try to get into the habit of doing it um, we have all well I don't know um, quite a few uh, past episodes are available online on the internet you can find them at the diocesan website which is www.sfcatholic.org surprise surprise or you can also find them at iTunes um, if you search for ignition, uh, you can you can find uh, past episodes. You can of course subscribe to the podcast that way as well, and you can always hear this, of course, on on the Lamb Catholic Radio Network. So whatever your way best way of listening, what if you want to find those past episodes, you can find them online. Um, we hope you enjoy the show, and again, we we appreciate feedback. A couple episodes, Father, we did a Q and A episode, um, which some people seemed to enjoy. Uh, so so we're always willing to entertain questions. If if you feel like it's a short question, we'll make it part of a Q and A episode. Or if you've got something you'd like <clears throat> you'd like us to devote some more time to, we're happy to do that as well. We aim to please, right, Father? Although we might aim on our own, too. If we think it's a shorter question, we might just do it on a question and answer one. Or if we think it's a longer one, we might just choose to do it as a separate yeah, two. We're not going to give you as the listener that much power. I mean, come on. Might act like it, but we're not going exactly, to. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so again, today we're going to be looking at the, we're going to be talking about uh, the, the question of the historicity of Jesus, of the Gospels, uh, a little bit the New Testament in particular. So... Father, this is a time, as, as you mentioned, as we we're talking about the topic, um, this is the time of the year, you know, in the weeks leading up to Easter when not as, maybe not as much today as in the past, but it used to be, it was, it was, you, you could, you could set your calendar or set your clock. You would see around Christmas and around Easter on the cover of, of, um, news magazines, you you would see stories about the real Jesus or the Jesus of history as opposed to the Christ of faith, the way that some theologians put it. So talking about the, the implication being, you know, the, the Jesus that that many Christians um, worship and pray and adore and so on, uh, believe saved them, died on the cross. Well, he's actually, you know, a figment of their collective imagination. Um, and there, there's, a, there's a real Jesus behind that. And we have to sort of clear the barnacles away. Um, 
and, and, and to get to the quote unquote real Jesus. Um, the Adam Father, do you do you see much of this just in your work with uh, parishioners um, in white or college students? Do you do you find uh, the people that you work with questions like this raised very often, or is it something that seems to be just out in the media more often? Um, I don't know if people have. Uh, certainly people have direct questions, and usually people's questions that I encounter are with regard to the so-called, uh, no, the Gnostic so-called Gospels. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, that are purportedly Gospels, uh, but really have not much of all to do with the actual Jesus, uh, so-called Gospel of Judas, so-called Gospel of Thomas, and, and so on and so forth. Or um, maybe where I see it, too, is sometimes just an implicit uh, distrust or an implicit uh uh, hermeneutic of suspicion in regard to the historical accuracy of the Gospels. I think in a lot of people's hearts and minds, they just kind of carry with them, and it's always just kind of underlying. Maybe it's not um, announced aloud, but it's an underlying question of, you know, I'm not really sure they're actually true. Right. Right, the the questioning because you know they see they read these these news magazine stories which refer to again not as much today as in the past but they're still around. There's a a, a, a group of scholars called the Jesus Seminar, and especially back in the '90s, they got a lot of attention. They'd gather together and they use beads to. Uh, basically take polls to render whether or not each verse of the Gospels, uh, the four Gospels that are in the Bible, the, the likelihood of its of its historical historical accuracy. And then they came out with the 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 appropriate the similarly color-coded version of the, the the Gospels. And, of course, they threw in one of the Gospels. You just mentioned the Gospel of Thomas, which, surprise, surprise, they believed was more historically accurate than than Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Um. So, so I think with all of these, we do see, you know, as Father, you said, the questions that people do ask about some of these specific um, alleged Gnostic Gospels, or as you put it, Gnostic so-called Gospels, uh, or, or the implicit questions, uh, the question behind the question for people, um, it, it are the Gospels in particular, but is the New Testament in general, the Bible in general, is it historically uh, reliable? And sorry, go ahead. And I think not just like in terms of the Jesus seminar too, but even questions about like with uh, evolution, the Book of Genesis, yes, and things like that. Uh, 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 there's just sort of this pall, uh, if you will, to sort of cover this sort of film over the scriptures that uh, they're not accurate. Right, and so and before, so maybe actually, uh, before we we focus on on the the question of Jesus and the Gospels, uh, it might be good just as as a reminder. You know, the Bible is 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 actually a collection. I think people know this, but sometimes we forget it, and it's important. The Bible is a collection of books. It's a collection of seventy three books, um, written by a multitude of authors, and and particularly for the question that we're discussing today, and in light of Father the point that you just raised with Genesis and the question of evolution and so on, um, not only a, a, a multitude of authors, but also a multitude of, of literary styles, literary genres, um, you know, di- different different styles of writing. Um, and, and that's important to know because we, I think a, a lot of times, many people just look at the Bible and, and they know that, that Christians, um, of which they may, be, may well be one, believe the Bible is 
you know, historically accurate and the Bible is true. It's the word of God, et cetera. So I think a lot of times, Father, people will will read the Bible or begin to read the Bible presuming that the, that the the defining genre, the, the, the common genre to every book of the Bible is the genre of history. In other words, that they, that they, I think sometimes people impl- implicitly presume that every book of the Bible um, intends to and and allegedly accurately does uh, convey historical truth, does does tell things uh, uh, as historical truths, and does so in the way that we think of history today. So, if you think of a biography written today, we would presume certain things that that, that the 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 person that the the book is being written about it, it tell their life in strict chronological order telling virtually everything we know about the person and 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 their relationships and and what they did and so on the bible though is not you know there are some parts of the bible there are books of the bible that are historical in nature but not every bible biblical book is intended to be historical um, and certainly not in the way that we think of history in our day and age or biography in our day and age and uh, that, that that's important for people to remember isn't it father very much so. Um, they had a different concept of, of history in that regard. Now, and that we should respect and understand the difference, but we shouldn't disqualify it just because it is different. Right. Exactly. So we still say, that even though they might do, even in those books that are historical in character and nature, that, that their genre is history, they do it differently, but there's still truths that, truths that are conveyed, and there's much historical truth. So with Genesis, as an example, the opening of chapter chapters of Genesis may not be, well, they aren't historical in the sense that we would write history in our day and age, uh, but they still convey important truths. Uh, there is a God. He created everything out of nothing etc 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 um anything else you think just broadly that sort of way with with things to remember when it comes to uh the bible just in general before focusing on jesus and the gospels father no i think it'd be great to move on move on to jesus so the the thing i want to point out just as 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 a sort of starting point for that more specific question just just reference to what the the church definitively and authoritatively teaches. And we can find this in many places, uh, but but one in particular, a resource that I think is familiar to many people, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, talks about the, the historical character of the Gospels. In, in um, paragraph 126 in the Catechism, it talks about the, the, the three stages in the formation of the Gospels. And, and in e- talking about each of these three stages, it quotes heavily from the Second Vatican Council's document, um, De Verbum, the, divi- the Dogmatic Constitution and Divine Revelation. So De Verbum is where the bishops of the church gathered together at Vatican II, and they talked about what is the church's understanding of how God has revealed himself to us. So the, the, the part of 126 that I want to focus on is the first stage, the life and teaching of Jesus. And this is what the Catechism says, quoting uh, within it from De Verbum, Article 19. The church holds firmly that the four gospels, whose historicity she unhesitatingly affirms, faithfully hand on what Jesus, the Son of God, while he lived among men, really did and taught for their eternal salvation until the day when he was taken up. 
So the, the keys to me, the, the, the Catholic Church teaches that the four Gospels are historical. The, 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 she, uh, she unhesitatingly affirms their historicity. Um, and she also asserts that they faithfully hand on what Jesus uh, did and taught while he lived amongst us. So just in terms of, okay, what does the Catholic Church actually teach? When it comes to the question of the historical character of the Gospels, Father, I think it's important to to be clear very out, uh, right from the outset. The Church says yes, the Gospels are in fact historical in character. Yes. So beyond that, there, or, or to I guess to unpack that, not necessarily so much beyond it. How do we know that? How how do we know that the New Testament, the Bible in general, the New Testament, the Gospels in particular? Wh- wh- how do we know that they're reliable? Um, what does that mean, et cetera, et cetera? There's all sorts of directions that we could go with this, Father. Uh, what do you think? What's a, what's a good uh, next point that's well, worth making? A good next one would just be on their actual reliability themselves. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, cause I think there's another question, too, which would be, do you want to look at them as just whether they're historically reliable? Do they actually portray uh, what really happened? Or do you want to say, are they the inspired Word of God right. as well? right. And uh, I think as far as inspiration, that's a different question. Inspiration is something that takes a verifiable word from God, God uh, the inspirer, to say, yes, these are inspired, which is made through the Church and its count- and her councils. But the idea of this historicity, this reliability uh, of the Gospels is something that we can know from this idea of of history and of looking at the texts themselves. Right. So this is where um, we, we can look to scholarship. Uh, we, we can look to the work of, of historians and literary experts, lit, um, literary scholars, uh, to, to, to see, to, 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 to how, how do we know? How is it that we can, to, that we can verify or authenticate or, or, or put some meat in the bones of what the church teaches about the reliability? I, I, just, I, I think it's a, it's a great distinction that you made there at the outset, all we're, we're focusing here on the question of historical reliability, which is distinct from in, uh, the, the question of inspiration. You and I can both write historically reliable things. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are inspired by God himself. Correct. I can write a uh, historical uh, uh, and accurate account of my day that is Mr. Means inspired. Right, right. And so, so it, what we're focusing on here today in this, in this episode of Ignition is the question of the reliability, simply the reliability uh, of, of the Gospels themselves. And if you want to think about this, uh, listeners, in a certain sense, this is also, in, uh, in choosing this way to look at it, we're in some ways mimicking uh, the method of the Incarnation. Uh, where our Lord comes in the human flesh, lives and teaches and interacts, and uh, and through those interactions, his uh, doctrine, the doctrine of himself being the second person of the Trinity, uh, becomes enfleshed and spoken, and, and in that sense has its testing, but they first have those encounters with him in a human sense right. before they encounter him as the divine. Yeah, they, they, obviously, they, they meet him as a man, and it's only later that they come to realize he's not just a mere man, but he is the God-man. First comes the meeting with the human nature. Right. And so the scriptures, we want to then, to complete the analogy with the scriptures, show them as historically reliable human documents before you consider them as the inspired Word of God. Yeah, that's a great analogy, Father. You're pretty smart sometimes. I'm so humble during Lent. (laughs) My Lent penance is to make uh, uh, Dr. Bergwald experience my humility. (laughs) Wait, no. (laughs) 
So uh, I can think of three uh, awkward transitions. Yes. I can think of three uh, kind of ideas to think about as far as the historical reliability of things. Okay. Um, and uh, I don't know if your things will fit into these three categories, but I think together we can maybe make some some trustworthiness or some reliability. Uh, so one for the historical value of the Gospels would be their genuineness. Another point would be uh, the trustworthiness of the authors. And a third point would be their integrity, their wholeness as a text. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. So, like, if someone, if we find, uh, you know, a uh, biography of Abraham Lincoln written, you know, supposedly written uh, a few years after his assassination, right, those are things we're going to look for. You know, is it is it genuine? Does it actually, you know, written by who it says it's supposed to be written by? Uh, is it trustworthy, the person who actually wrote it? Do they write in a trustworthy manner? And then uh, is, it, do, is it whole? Do we have the complete copy of it? Right, okay. And so with the idea of genuineness, um, right, we, there's a couple different ways we can look at the genuineness. First of all, I mean, no one really ever disputed their use in the early church. So here we're talking, obviously, about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Correct. So exactly. from the get-go, these four these four documents were were regarded um, in the early church. The earliest records that we have, we see that they they were um, they were they were believed to be historically accurate. In other words, right. So think of uh, think of the, the culture in which the gospel was preached at its, at its infancy in the first uh, few centuries. Uh, uh, the Jewish converts, right, uh, eager to guard their Old Testament, would they give up the Old Testament so easily if it wasn't a genuine uh, account that they were reading? Right. I uh, think of the Gentile pagan uh, converts. Uh, would they have embraced this religion, which made such a severe demand on them, especially in terms of the moral code, if they uh, didn't feel it was genuine? Right. You know, and would not uh, the opponents have uh, fastened on the strongest argument of all, right, to say that the books are forgeries, that they're not genuine? That yeah, that they're not real, right? right. Okay. Right, but we don't we don't see those sorts of arguments. Right, and it's not as if there aren't other arguments that are presented. I mean, we do find, um, you know, I think the the uh, early church theologian Origen, uh, he had. Uh, an argument, a debate of sorts with with uh, Scott, I think a Jewish, I think he was a pagan scholar, uh, Chelsus, um, and, Chelsus yep. and and so, the, for instance, in their arguments, you don't. There are arguments. There are people who make arguments against the Christian faith in the earliest uh, century, decades and centuries, but never do is is the one of the arguments that they that they uh, employ. Well, the gospels that you Christians use, it's just all fake. They, they don't. Right. They don't. They don't say history. History shows that these are not verifiable or that they're not reliable. We don't see the argument at all. Right. And we and even in our current day, we really see uh, there's no sane historical scholar who disputes that uh, even the most basic fact that a man named Jesus of Nazareth actually existed. Right. And with and with that, it, just in general, you know, um, and I think this might fit under this point, Father. Um, the 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 manuscript evidence we have of the Gospels, if if we compare it to other other historical accounts, other ancient historical documents. We have far more. 
more manuscripts um, that, that that are that are consistent uh, when we can make comparisons between them. Uh, far more manuscripts of the Gospels, and and we have far older manuscripts closer to the events that they that they re- refer to the life of Jesus uh, than we do of other ancient historical documents um, whose whose reliability is never called into question. Um, so some some of the ancient Greek and Roman historians uh, whose names and documents escape me right now and I don't have in front of me, but I assure you, dear listener, um, some of the ancient historians and their works, you know, the the, the manuscripts, the oldest ones that we have are written, or the, the oldest copies we have of their works are from centuries after the fact. Um, and, and we have fewer, fewer copies of those manuscripts, and yet historians regard them as historically reliable. So I think when we, when we, Father, when we look at the Gospels, far more manuscripts and much older manuscripts uh, is another indication of the historical reliability of the gospel accounts. Correct. Correct. And so like, uh, what Dr. Bergal would be referring to their listeners would be things like uh, Cicero and Horace. There we go. Caesar's Gallic Wars. And uh, Caesar's Gallic Wars is kind of one of the earliest examples of history and uh, for modern historians, kind of a, a shiny example, if you will, of early histories. Right. And, and for all of those... Again, what I was just saying that, that the copies we have of these documents are are much later after the uh, after the events they're portraying than the Gospels are, and yet if Correct. we regard the like, Latin- like with Caesar's Gallic Wars, we have maybe eleven manuscripts, complete manuscripts or partial, um, and the earliest date being from the ninth century, some nine hundred fifty years after it was written. Right, and nobody, nobody. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. It, it, we don't see this serious. Um, questioning of the historical reliability of of that document the way that we do, at least on the part of some, with regard to the Gospels. Right. Although, in fairness, no one started a religion based off Caesar's Gallic Wars. Somebody could, though, I suppose. They could, but I haven't seen it yet. That also speaks, of course, to the idea of integrity. With, With that manuscript evidence, we have evidence of, you know, what the manuscripts actually said. Right, of the manuscripts of the Gospels. And so we know that there's not missing sections of the Gospels. And they themselves internally speak that we have uh, a whole document, because it doesn't seem like parts are missing uh, to the Gospels. They, they, they flow. There's a logical order. There's not a skip, if you will. Um, and uh, uh, so there is that logical flow of tone and content and style, and uh, also backed up by uh, the manuscripts that we have integral whole copies of these historical accounts of Jesus. Right, right. I think another interesting point on the genuineness, uh, going back to the first idea of historicity, with genuineness, we also have the genuine uh, uh, Jewish uh, background of the authors, that they all speak in colloquially Jewish terms. And this is a big point when we think about the Gnostic so-called Gospels. Ooh. Again, so these are all, uh, they're all writing in a particular uh, style of Greek known as Koine Greek, which is um, uh, specific to their time frame that they're right. written from. Right. They're also um, marked with Hebrew Jewish idiom. Um, idiom, of course, are like little phrases that develop in certain areas and languages. Yeah, and of course, Eng- American English is full of idiom. Right, right. Right, whereas America was just full of... Never mind. <laughs> Did he... Is he going to go with that? No idea. No? Okay. It was it was mean, so I'm not going to say it during Okay. 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 But, uh, so like... Um, so 
like soul meaning life and truly, truly and amen and things like the kingdom of heaven, those are all Hebrew expressions, son of man, son of God, uh, things like that, sons of light. Those are all Hebrew idioms that are in the Greek text. They're not found in uh, the Greek texts of native Greek speakers either. Right, right. So just to, to... For me to sort of connect the dots uh, extensively, what you're saying is the fact that these documents uh, feel, so to speak, very Jewish is an indication of the historical reliability as opposed to other alleged gospels, which do not feel nearly as Jewish, but feel more uh, pagan or, or philosophical, so to speak. Correct. And uh, N.T. Wright, the famous Anglican biblical scholar and a very good biblical scholar, talks about this as a double dissimilarity. Yeah, so the Gospels are both similar and yet dissimilar to uh, contemporary Jews, and both similar and yet in some ways dissimilar to uh, post-Gospel Christian writings. Uh, the point being that that double dissimilitude or dissimilarity shows the, shows the gospel as the bridge between the two. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Okay. That's an authentic bridge. What else, Father, do you think would be worse? Oh, I think lots of things. Oh, but on this topic. Oh, yes. Um, well, I think maybe just talk about the truth, the trustworthiness of the evangelist. Okay. You know, that they lived uh, holy lives, that they, li- that they suffered for the sake of their witness. You know, um... We know that uh, uh, Matthew and John were companions of Christ. Mark and Luke lived in contact uh, with companions of Christ, with his contemporaries. Right, and that you know, and just to be clear here, the the general consensus today is that the Gospels were all written certainly by the year one hundred, and and generally it's the decades before that. So, so within two generations of the life of Jesus. So, if if the, if there were people who Again, this goes back to a point we made earlier, Father. Um, with this, the the authors, uh, if they had written things that weren't true, um, it was near enough t- to the time that Jesus was actually alive that people would have said, "Hey, what are you doing?" Yeah, that's not what he did. Major flag on the play. Yeah, right. And also, too, think if if they were imposters. Uh, uh, well, actually, let's stop for a moment, Father, and backtrack on. Uh, the gospel writers um, notice how there are like moments of ambiguity, as far as like the timeline, the account. We talked about how it's not maybe a strict modern right. biography or history, but there are moments maybe some ambiguity. Like for example, or the famous one is that uh, on what day uh, the lambs of the Passover were slaughtered? Right. Yes. Right. Were they slaughtered on the day of uh, Jesus's death? Were they slaughtered on the day of the Last Supper, Holy Thursday, or Good Friday? Now, um, we can reconcile those questions based on the different Gospels, but if, you know, the evangelists themselves were fakers or forgers, imposters, you think that they would have tried to avoid such contradictions. Right. There are all sorts of at least apparent contradictions between, amongst the four Gospels, and, uh, and yeah, if, if you're going to make it up, uh, you probably wouldn't do that. Yeah. Let's, get, let's, let's be a little better than that. Yep, yep. Father, any, so you mentioned N.T. Wright just in the last 30 seconds or so. Um, any particular books by him or other scholars, other books that you might recommend uh, that come to your mind when it comes to this whole question of historical reliability of, of the, the Bible or the Gospels in particular? Well, 
I, I think you might have a better reference. I think because the books I've read are pre- I, it was a three volume series that was pretty long. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that the average listener probably would have a little bit of a tough time chewing through. I think maybe just one that's shorter that I might mention is his book, The Challenge of Jesus. It's N.T. Wright's book, The Challenge of Jesus. There's also um, Paul Barnett's Is the New Testament Reliable? Mm-hmm. But we'll have to leave it at that for this episode, Father. We're out of time. Sorry. So I'm going to wrap things up. Seabergwaldeskathic.org <laughs> uh, is my email address for questions. But also I want to mention again iTunes and the Dasison website, www.sfcatholic.org to find more. Until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.